Okay, let's see. That is 1,000 lemon-flavored lozenges, 1,000 cherry-flavored lozenges, 1,000 orange-flavored lozenges. Um, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just getting ready for uh, today's recording session because there's a lot of gruff-voiced characters I'm about to be doing, and, well, I remember the Popeye episodes all too well. What? It can't be that bad. You're just doing Captain Caveman! <coughs> Give me one of those lozenges. <laughs> okay, here you go. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The opinion change to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon everyone, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James Kinda Sorta Hopefully Funny Cartoon Podcast. And today, we needed a palate cleanser after Lassie's Rescue Rangers. You know what's weirder? I've heard that there is more Lassie animation out there. Yeah, I just saw that comment. An anime and a CGI one? I'm, I have no interest in the CGI one. I'll just be... Up front, but I'm I can't lie, I'm mildly curious about an anime interpretation of Lassie. As am I. I haven't done any research on it outside the comment we saw, but I mean at some point I need to because that sounds interesting. It can't be worse than what we watched. Yeah. Put put that on the list for twenty (laughs) twenty-three. But you know, this year I decided we were gonna go back to the nostalgia well for Our beloved Hanna-Barbera, and one of the first cartoons of theirs I got into via USA Network's Cartoon Express, Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels. Yeah, that's where I first saw it, too. Yeah, I imagine it's where a lot of our generation first encountered this character. That's where I saw that for the first time, Thundar for the first time, Space Ghost for the first time. Yeah, Josie and the Pussycats, The Roman Holidays, Speed Buggy, and on and on. So, debuting in 1977 as part of Scooby-Doo's All-Star Laugh Olympics block of cartoons. Yes, this was a whole two-hour block of programming. Yep, consisted of uh, what would later be referred to as the Scooby-Doo show episodes, the Laugh Olympics, Dino Mutt, and Captain Caveman. Not to mention, I think there were some reruns of the the previous Scooby-Doo shows. Yep. And supposedly the rumor was that Captain Caveman and Teen Angels was solely created because uh, one of the original people they wanted to put into Left Olympics kind of wasn't. There's a little bit of a which came first, the chicken or the egg matter with these characters. In a Left Olympics original pitch, Scooby-Doo's team was intended to include Genie, the animated version of the character Barbara Eden made famous in I Dream of Genie. Plus Melody, Alexander, Alexandra, and Sebastian from Josie and the Pussycats. Which begs the question, where exactly were Josie and Valerie in this pitch, but oh well. Well, you know, as much as I like Valerie, you know, you could ask the same thing about where's Fred, Velma, and Daphne. Also true. But the crux of the matter is, rights for these characters had reverted back to their main owners. Uh, CBS for Genie, and uh, Harvey Comics... For the Josie and the Pussycats bunch. Don't you mean Archie? Archie Comics, you are correct. Yeah, and Archie seemingly didn't want to renew licensing with Hanna-Barbera. Filmation ended up having a similar issue in the early 80s, but that's beside the point. So, Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels were brought in both into Laugh Olympics and as an 11-minute segment in the whole programming block rather than full half-hour shows unto themselves. Now, I can't find any distinct word to definitively determine whether or not these characters were already in the works and were just thrown in as a stopgap, or if they were created to for, specifically for this purpose and then their 11-minute show was created to justify their inclusion. 
both could be possible, but I kind of am willing to lean towards them being created to be for Life Olympics, just because, to be honest, a lot of these episodes look really rough, even by Hanna-Barbera standards. They do, they do. But at the same time, pastiches, homages, and parodies of what's current in popular culture were all over the place on Saturday morning television. And a parody of Charlie's Angels, it's easy to perceive that being cooked up uh, simultaneously to the development of Laugh Olympics. It could be, it could be like you said, they could have partially had it in the works, and then whenever they couldn't get Josie and the Pussycats, they had to kind of just say, well, shoot, we got this, let's get this out there. Of course, this matter didn't stop them from making up so many villains for the Really Rotten's team either. Oh, yeah. I mean... I think other than the like cowboy guys actually appeared in some media. Um, yeah, the Daltons uh, had appeared in Huckleberry Hound and Quick Draw McGraw cartoons. Yeah, other than that, I think. Oh, Mumbly, but Mum- Mumbly, but you know that we've we've gotten into that story in our Mumbly podcast. Yes, I, I will say though, uh, I think Genie having to drop out was uh, beneficial because I'm quite fond of the character they used to replace her in the lineup. Fanrific. <laughs> Hong Kong Fui, number one super guy. Yeah, originally Hong... Well, well, that's a story for the Laugh Olympics podcast. Whenever that happens. Yeah. It's on the list. So the premise, however we got to it, is this is a mystery format show with perhaps the most enduring legacy that is not Scooby-Doo itself. The premise is Dee Dee Sykes, Taffy Dare, and Brenda Chance stumble upon the frozen Cro-Magnon superhero who they thought out via flashlight and bring him along to solve mysteries rather than, you know, bring him to the paleological research groups who no doubt would have had fucking millions upon millions of questions for a legitimate unfrozen caveman. Probably would have caused KV to have a nervous breakdown if they did that now that you think about it. Fair. That's also one hell of a flashlight. Now, yes, I know, I should repeat to myself, it's just a show, I should really just relax for mystery science, I'm sorry. Well, you know. But, man! Uh, I, I don't know, I love overthinking that stuff, I just think it's fun and <laughs> funny. Though, even if it gets me comments on my videos about how, you're overthinking this, this is just a kid show or something like that, I'm like, it's fun to overthink things, guys. And so long as it's overthinking cartoons and not real life matters. Yeah, it's like, don't don't take it so serious. It's like, you're telling me I'm taking the cartoon too seriously when you're grumpy at me for this. Now, regarding Captain Caveman's design, does this guy look familiar to you? Hmm... I could swear I've seen him driving a boulder mobile before. Hmm. Yeah, Captain Caveman is the refinement of a character design that's been in other Hanna-Barbera projects. If you heard our Wacky Races episode, this is nothing new. But to recap, this all-hair, except the nose, arms, and feet, and eyes design, originated on that series with the Slag Brothers and would be brought into live action as the bass player for Rudy Bega's Vitamin on Hanna-Barbera's summer variety show that lasted, what, three or four episodes? And was never picked up for a full season afterward. Yeah. Also, uh, the Slag Brothers don't have eyes, but... Yeah. But the potential deja vu you'd have gotten from this character, if you saw him when he debuted in 1977, it's not just in your head. Wow recycling wacky races characters with different names and slightly different looks for laugh olympics this seems like a thing sure does <laughs> isn't that right dread baron aha yes <laughs> though uh they did get the best voice actor you possibly could for captain caveman yes the man the myth the legend the man of a thousand voices mel blank the guy that can scream into a microphone and still make an endearing character out of it. <laughs> yep, this is basically a deeper, goofier version of the sort of voice he gives Yosemite Sam. Yeah, definitely goofier, definitely dumber. <laughs> sounding. Yeah. He, he sounds far more likable than I, I guess would be the word, or friendlier. Friendlier is probably the better yeah. word. Far more friendlier than Yosemite Sam or Mr. Spacely does. Mm-hmm. 
And if you're listening to a podcast about cartoons, you probably don't need us to say anything else about Mel. He's great. Yeah. Now, the Teen Angels, we probably do need to introduce at both them and their voice actors. Dee Dee Sykes, the uh, brains of the group and ostensible leader, is voiced by Vernie Watson, a veteran actress who, prior to this, spent a season as a supporting player on Welcome Back, Cotter, and would go on to perform Will Smith's mother, Viola, in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and she's still acting to this day. I actually did not know that. Wow. Uh, I'm also going to just throw out, as far as the three girls go, she has the best voice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, D.D. Sykes was the only member of the Teen Angels to appear in that Scoob movie. Which we will get to. It's definitely a movie. It's definitely a movie. So Brenda's voice actress is Marilyn Schreffler. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, she appears in a few Hanna-Barbera stuff, didn't she? Like, if I remember right, I think she took over the voice of uh, Olive Oil for, like, the Hanna-Barbera Popeye Hour. She did indeed. She was also Wendy in the Galloping Ghost segments of The Buford Show, and she did numerous other incidental voices until her untimely passing in 1988 at age 42. She actually made a pretty good olive oil. I'll give her credit for that. Yeah. But Brenda here is basically a shaggy clone, or in this case, shaggy gender swap. Except looks way better than I imagined a shaggy gender swap to look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because she hasn't in- inherited the appetite. Her voice is also annoying, but <laughs> that's just my personal opinion. She does do a good olive oil. I will give her credit for that. Because uh, when they did the all-new Popeye Hour, they wanted to get Mae Questel to reprise her role as Olive Oil, but unfortunately she had just gotten too old and was having trouble with it. So Jack Mercer was the only person to reprise his role in that show. But she she did good as far as, you know, she was no Mae Questel, but I mean, as far as, you know, you have to get somebody to replace it, she did a damn good job. So. Yeah. Finally, Taffy Dare, the... Uh... Mistress of Disguise, and generally the cheerleader of the group, she's performed by Laurel Chase, whose credits are mostly incidental characters, save for Mrs. Creepley in the Laugh Olympics, and the reoccurring part, Mrs. Big, in the Littles. Zowie! Yeah, she's, uh, she's peppy. Also has an annoying voice, but... (laughs) yeah. Arguably more annoying than Brenda. Yeah! Uh, Taffy's voice is weird for me because part of me is like, I think that voice is really cute, and then she'll hit a high note, and I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. Yeah. (laughs) I I also find Taffy's flirting with Captain Caveman questionable. (laughs) Yeah, he's old enough to be her great, 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 Five minutes later. Great, 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 great grandfather. Not just that, but I mean, they're teen angels. Um, unless she's 18, which I, or 19, which does still qualify as a teenager. Um... Yeah! (laughs) I don't think I need to say anything else. (laughs) Anyhow, rounding out the cast, our narrator for the opening credits is laughing announcer and original space ghost, Gary Owens. Heck yeah, Gary Owens is amazing. Freaking Blue Falcon. Was almost Inspector Gadget at one point. Mm Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, numerous Hanna-Barbera regulars like Henry Corden, Casey Kasem, John Stevenson, Don Messick, and even Mickey Dolans would supply vocal parts over various episodes. Also, uh, Hal Smith, uh, who was Glenn Hart Glomgold, does one of the voices in one of the episodes we watched. Okay. And and, uh, the guy who uh, did the voice of Brutus for... I mean, not Brutus. God dang it. Now I'm getting these swapped up. Um, Bluto for the... uh, all new Popeye Hour does some voices, but I can't remember what his name is. I think he might be the same guy who played Magilla Gorilla, but don't quote me on that. But uh, yeah, a lot, pretty much the whole Hanna-Barbera alumni are in there for additional voices. And we should also mention that uh, these character designs were came up with by Joe Ruby and Ken Spears. And uh, most of the direction was done by Charles Nichols. 
wait, Ruby, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears aren't artists though; they're writers. Well, they they came up with the concept. Okay, that that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd imagine they probably got uh, either Alex Toth or uh, or Iowa Takamoto to do the designs. Because yeah, probably Takamoto. But uh, as for as for Charles Nichols, he had worked for Disney for for a long while during their big golden age and got to start animating the coachman in Pinocchio. Wow. And he would be an animation director and just a plain old director for multitudes of Hanna-Barbera shows. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to bet it's Takamoto because that does look like his designs, to be honest. <laughs> Meanwhile, I can't seem to really find individual writing credits for these episodes. They're just collectively credited to a group of folks. And that tends to be the case. Yeah. Kind of like how a lot of the a lot of them will say directed by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, and they actually didn't, uh, you know. <laughs> so let's dive in with the very first episode in broadcast order, The Kooky Case of the Cryptic Keys. Nice title. Oh, I, I do want to say one thing about this show, since it'll appear eventually in the episode anyways. Second best green transition in a cartoon ever. Oh, yeah. And yeah, we see it a lot. In this first episode, anyway. Yeah, it looks really surprisingly smooth, though, for, you know, 1970s animation. So, I don't know what trick they used for it, but, yeah, it looks nice. <laughs> so, taking a very bumpy shortcut to beat traffic, which only KV can sleep through, the Teen Angels are stopped by a woman calling for aid in the middle of the road. A woman named Nancy, which I remember mainly because that's also my mom's name. <laughs> As the van screeches to a halt, we learn KV's secret for uh, sleeping through everything. Sleep flying. Whatever works, man. <laughs> the woman, who we will eventually learn is named Nancy, like Pembroke said, hands the teen angels a key and tells them to guard it with her their life and runs off while a generic masked man in a trench coat and matching hat watches. Captain Caveman sent to light go catch her, but unfortunately his power runs out. I guess he didn't get enough sleep. Or maybe he used too much of it while sleeping. Um, that's possible. Now, Taffy entrusts the key to KV, who thinks it's food. <laughs> he thinks everything is food. <laughs> Basically. But he's kept from eating it with the promise of pickles. And he's supposed to put the key in the safe. Right. Dee Dee rallies the croup and, uh-oh, coloring error alert. Taffy's hair is suddenly red. Well, you know... The, the dye wore out. I don't know. I never got anything. <laughs> Meanwhile, somehow the captain mixes up the safe and the pickles, eating the former and putting the key in the latter. It's both a kind of dumb and really kind of amusing gag at the same time because it's like just just seeing him put the key in the freaking jar of pickles is that's good. That's actually good. <laughs> So the angels hunt for clues on a particularly spooky trail, with Brenda worried about a two-headed monster with long green fangs and red eyes. I don't know what she's seeing, but that thing looks less like that, more like Slender Man to me. <laughs> yeah, she points to a shadowy figure, which Taffy charges. Watch out for that! After her crash, Taffy still has the wherewithal to find a compact flashlight. Yep. Sort of a pen light, actually. Did they even have those back in the 70s? Uh, they did, act actually. The second Doctor of Doctor Who used one of those as the first incarnation of the sonic screwdriver. Nice. Nice bit of trivia there. Mm -hmm. Also, oh. Taffy's hugging the heck out of that tree, I just want to say. Yeah. Yeah. So meanwhile, Cavey's standing guard while our shadowy figure tosses a stick to distract the dim-witted hairball. Yep. And he went to go get the so-called clue while... <laughs> I, I can't help but wonder what the villain thought when he saw the freaking key in the pickles. Just like, what the crap? Yeah, KV tracks down the key and realizes his mistake. And one of the better parts of this cartoon is the visual animation of the club's tools. Which include yeah. this sad-looking bird holding a candle to act as a flashlight. They they are pretty clever. I mean, they could have just had the flash. They could have just had a flashlight come out, or they could have just had a candle come out. But no, they they have a little. How old are these birds? Actually, that's a good question. Yeah, but you know, still, it's a good repurposing of the old Flintstone stick. Yep, it's a living. 
Ironic you should mention the Flintstones. Yeah, we'll get to that later, too. The uh, teenagers see KV getting the so-called clue and are like, KV, you're supposed to be guarding. I just want to throw out, they never told him that he had to guard. Hmm. They, they never actually mentioned that. The stick is no clue, so he eats it, of course. And he gets scolded by Taffy. Like, KV, how could you? Because this key got stolen, which again, they did not tell him. He had to guard it. Now, I got two questions. One, were cavemen part goat? <laughs> Maybe. At least this one might be. <laughs> he literally eats anything. Also, for no apparent reason, we go from KV swallowing the stick in the van to a brief shot of him standing outside it? Uh, you know, they, they were doing this on the quick. <laughs> yeah. And we get another one of those great screen transitions. Now, inspecting the flashlight, Dee Dee spots no fingerprints, just chalky dirt, which, according to her, could only have come from the old mansion on Skeleton Mountain. Wait, what? That, that's all right, I guess. How, how do you know? How, how do you? You know what? Never mind. We, we've got 11 minutes. we got to be quick. Yeah. And then we get yet another screen transition. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're doing that a lot in this first half of the episode. It looks nice. They may have, they may have actually spent some actual money on that. <laughs> it's the second best screen transition Hanna-Barbera has. My personal favorite is still the Super Friends one. Oh, of course. The, the, the freaking just the stars coming at you that and the sound effect. It's, it is a great. It lives in my brain rent free for the rest of my life. <laughs> So the, the girls snoop on a gathering where the great Misto is telling three folks that without Nancy Duncan's key, he can't use his powers and execute the will. But uh, mysteriously, her key was delivered and was told to go without him. Taffy breaks the girls off from eavesdropping to form a plan. And then we get plot. I do you want to point out, isn't this trespassing? <laughs> a bit. Arguably breaking and entering, even though they didn't actually in partially entered <laughs> right but again as also, they plan there is plot also i want to point out that they're using a a caveman ladder because it's like bones and like tree limbs that's cute and uh kv kind of looks like he's checking out their butts i hate to say that but again plot <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why i keeps using that very specific term Unga bunga. Uh, for those not in the know, plot is a fandom uh, term coined by the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic fan base, where they would say they, they watch the show for the plot and then immediately show a picture of a pony's ass. Yeah. It, it's meant to be ironic. Yes. But it's... Most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. But it has since mutated into more of a general purpose phrase of saying, I watch this cartoon for its story, but there is also fan service. I, I think that actually originated before My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, but I think that's definitely the one that made it the most popular it is. Yeah, it caught on then. So, but seriously, folks, Taffy disguises herself as Nancy to infiltrate the, the reading slash seance. Which she does surprisingly really well. Yeah, disguises are her distinguishing role within the group, and one of the things that separates the Teen Angels from the many, many other mystery-solving crews Hanna-Barbera has cooked up. Sowie! And in this episode, it suits the story pretty well. Yeah, I, I kind of like her response, where it's like, because she, she's at the door, and the woman that opens the door is like, uh... I forgot what her last name was, but it's like, I thought you weren't coming. It's like, a girl's got a right to change your mind, you know? Well, they do. Yep. Even at the last minute. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, Misto instructs the beneficiaries to drop the keys in the vase when he turns off the lights. And when they come back on, he's gone. And so is the vase with the keys. Except for Nancy's, since Taffy dropped her lipstick, quote, by mistake, unquote convenient to quote <laughs> i like that that one of the woman women was just straight up uh, the, the other woman there was just straight up like convenient and i was like wow it's like she's commenting on the plot 
and not the other plot. <laughs> Although I have to imagine Taffy did this on purpose. Well, yeah. Now, two things I want to point out before we continue. First, if it feels like it's taking us longer to go over this than the cartoon's actual runtime, it's because this is a dense, story-packed cartoon, especially for 11 minutes. Yeah, and it it goes... They, they they move plot point to plot point, like, right off the bat, because they, they got no time to, like, dilly-dally around. It's kind of the opposite problem of what we encountered when we were watching Clue Club. Yeah, actually, because Clue Club had a lot of points where it just felt like, ah, we don't know what to do here! <laughs> we'll make this monster appear and then never see it again or have it mentioned at all. Yeah. The second thing I want to point out is... Boy, howdy, everyone sure loves using the mystic and cryptic descriptive words for these otherwise mundane objects. Well, well, let's be honest. Cryptic is a nice word. It's actually a cool word to say. Now, breaking away from the meeting, the girls realize Nancy's key is hollow, with an image of a house inside when viewed from the business end. Which... I wonder how they were able to see through that so well without a Yeah, light. that's itty-bitty. And there's somebody watching from behind a portrait as they realize they're targets with their key. I also want to point out that Ta- Taffy has the best outfit. Okay. It, it is very groovy 70s, complete with color, but I think it looks nice. So, just wanted to say that. Random comment. <laughs> hey, fine. Fair. So, night falls... The villain cackles, and Taffy pretends to sleep while her friends watch from hiding places, including Captain Caveman having somehow stuffed himself into a drawer. He's mostly fur. I'm sure he's flexible. Yeah. Granted, I've seen what he looks like without fur, and it's... (laughs) The villain returns to his hiding place behind the picture, and then triggers a passage to pull in the bed, returning it sans Taffy. KV springs into action and triggers the passage himself in the process, stopping himself with a dwarf triceratops in his club. Yep, which he actually thought he broke the door, which fortunately he didn't, as Brenda, I mean not Brenda, as Dee uh, Dee points out. Yeah. Now Taffy is trying to read the culprit the riot act, and said culprit is the only now named Mr. Beamer, one of the people at the reading, and she's doing it from behind bars alongside Nancy and Misto. Hey, you gotta give her credit for Gusto, even if she tries and fails to do the Maxwell Smart thing. We've got you surrounded! No, no, you don't. (laughs) Beamer knows the key secrets, but the Angels and KV arrive to stop him. And of course, they they go by the state... And this is how every episode pretty much ends. It's just like, we figured out who the villain is! KV, get him! (laughs) Beamer blocks a door in the chase and... Cavey just opens the cave wall instead, politely closing it behind him. <laughs> I gotta give credit where it's due. That's a nice gag. It really is. And another good one is Cavey lifting the entire house from its foundation to spot Beamer escaping in a car. Then he channels another Mel Blanc character to catch up via burrowing. Brad, that was only because he, he ran out of strength to keep holding up the, the whole mansion. Yeah. But, hey, Whatever works, and hey, burrowing works. Mm-hmm. Cavey takes out the car with the dead tree that he popped up from underneath, and he also uses it, along with a rope, to bring Beamer and the car back. Captain Caveman! <laughs> Got him. <laughs> bringing it back as if he literally he caught something in a hunt because he has a whole car tied upside down on the freaking tree so to conclude the episode nancy explains what happened to her and the angels deduce the keys and flashlight combine to illuminate a map leading to a treasure chest filled with loot uh, before we say anything more on that, I just want to say that uh, I'm I'm assuming Beamer is either knocked out or just in awe of what happened, because considering how KV's carrying him back, he could have got out of the car. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Grant, if that happened to me, I might just be so shocked I wouldn't do anything either. <laughs> so, we get some standard mystery-solved dialogue. Taffy kisses KV, he's head over heels, 
The end. And he falls into the deepest fountain I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I, I do have to give him credit, though. The, uh, the key map idea, I'm not sure how well that would actually legitimately work. Because, like, literally that looks like it could have been anywhere in their front yard. But it's still a really clever idea. That's actually a really neat concept. So... I gotta say, this episode is such a mixed bag. It's really trying to cram a lot in that 11 minutes. Yeah, and it doesn't always do it quite well. Yeah, there's a lot. The the, the whole, like, it can only be at that mansion. Really? That's the only place? I mean, there's still some good gag work. And, of course, Mel Blanc is charming as KV. Mel Blanc is always good. Yeah. Even when Mel Blanc is bad, he's still good. <laughs> well, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, it's off to the arena. Sunday Afternoon Mysteries will be back in a moment on the Cartoon Network. On the next Penny and James podcast, Spooked! It's the Angry Beavers! In the great wilderness of the northern United States, brothers Norbert and Daggett get into all kinds of misadventures, where often the only thing they accomplish is driving each other crazy. This cult favorite Nicktoon got off to a rocky start, but really hit its stride with its later seasons. It's our first basic cable original offering, coming at you in two weeks. Ladies and gentlemen, your main event for the evening! Standing in this corner, weighing in at none of your business, Pembroke W. Corgi! Woo! Woo! Yeah, Pemmy's a bit of a lapsed wrestling fan. I'm still a wrestling fan, so this was a fun little treat. Also, isn't it kind of interesting that for the episodes we picked, we got the first episode of the first season and then the second episode of the second season? That's a little bit funny, yeah. So this episode is Muscle Bound KV, and we open at a very generically named wrestling arena. With some generically named wrestlers. Yeah, I, I guess they obviously couldn't reference anything like the Sportatorium or the Cow Palace or any of those places since, you know, those are trademarked. It's also kind of cool, though, because uh, this is like the 70s, so it's before wrestling had its really huge boom in like the 80s. Yeah, this is the days of the territories. Yep. But we have a poster advertising champion Great Colosso who looks like a more muscle-bound version of Baron Von Raschke. His tights also look kind of like just straight-up underwear. (laughs) Now, who is Baron Von Raschke, you might be asking, oh, hypothetical person out there? He was a wrestler in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Bald fellow with a gruff, aggressive voice. He portrayed a nasty German heel. Until he became so beloved by the fans that he was forced to become a good guy just because they loved him so much for his tenure and determination. And he frequently finished his opponents with the dreaded brain claw. And that's all the people need to know. Stone Cold said so? (laughs) I I also want to mention that he's got Wonder Woman boots on. Oh, dear. He does? Well, yeah. (laughs) Well... They were producing Super Friends, too, around this time. Yep. But this poster is ripped up by a bestial blue claw with an accompanying growl. A good growl. (laughs) Now, the Teen Angels and KV have ringside seats, thanks to Colossus' manager, Ernie. Uh, Going for that whole whole Scooby-Doo thing of (laughs) conveniently knowing such and such person, famous person, or such and such person that allows them to get to somewhere, it's like... Wow, this professor took us to all these luau, Scoob. Mm-hmm. KV has a little comic business when he spots a popcorn vendor and pops his own with a cop and his club, only to get more than he bargained for, and the candlebird spits out still more at him. That's a lot of popcorn. That's a lot of big popcorn. It gets cleaned up surprisingly really fast. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest, KV could have beaten all that, and I would not have been surprised. Right. Now, the challenger in this match is Bruiser Volowski. And though his name evokes the likes of Bruiser Brody, or the numerous Russian heel wrestlers of the era, you know, people like Nikolai Volkov, Ivan Koloff, Alexis Smirnov, 
Boy, something's just off about all these guys. <laughs> He's voiced by Hal Smith. Who, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know best as Flint Hart Glomgold in uh, original DuckTales. Also played Daphne's mother in uh, Dragon Slayer 2. <laughs> Our bruiser looks more like a silver-haired Roddy Piper on steroids than any of the wrestlers I just mentioned. Before Roddy Roddy. Yeah. Could be like Ric Flair if he took way, took a whole bunch of steroids. Yeah, that too. Woo! So as Colossa was introduced, a rip-off of Panthro from the Thundercats swings in on a rope and makes off with the champ. Like he's nothing I'm going to throw out there. Yeah, no kidding. Wait, 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 James, what am I saying? This guy came first. Panthro is the rip-off. Oh, whatever. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know... Rankin Bass had to get the idea somewhere. Mm-hmm. Hear the thunder, hear the roar, Thundercats are loose. Oh, sorry. That is one of the best theme songs. Thundercats is one of the best theme songs ever. Let's be honest. So to prevent the champ from forfeiting the belt, Cavey tries to spring into action, but runs out of steam quick. Unfortunately. The girls race out of the arena to find all he's caught is a mangy alley cat. Which is the ugliest looking cat I've ever seen in a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. I'm going to straight out say that. Like, it looks like it's made out of squiggles. <laughs> that is one magey looking cat. Yeah. How would you say it compares to the cat from Yogi Space Race? That cat looks better than this. But that's okay. like. But then again, that cat in Space Race is literally named Clean Cat. So, you know. Yes. No. Oh, right, right. It's been so long since I've seen it. I, I, I dog, forgot the cat was the dog's disguise, not the other way around. Which raises so many questions. It's like this this dog this dog just changed complete species. Oh wait. Anyways, we we'll save that for if we ever talk about Yogi's Space Race and its conveniently familiar looking logo. Yep. It's also, all together now, on the list. But, uh, yeah, that is just one scraggly looking cat. That makes Frady Cat from Bill Machen look decent. <laughs> so Dee Dee gets them to focus on finding clues, and they stumble upon a Gene Okerlund type interviewing the Bruiser. Who is voiced by the guy who voiced Bluto in uh, the new Popeye Hour, because I can tell it, sound, it sounds like Ludo from that. Bruiser boasts, demands no more questions, and once he's left, the angels break and enter yet again and start looking around. I, I love how these, like, Scooby clone shows just are so okay with the whole concept of breaking and entering. Like, it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Never mind that that's a cr that, that in itself is a freaking crime. Yeah. And we get some more comic business from KV as he tumbles upon a scale and tips it well past the 300-pound limit on it. Makes him realize he needs to lose some weight, which he does by literally taking a ton of stuff from within his fur. Yep. Drums, a bicycle, a confused dinosaur, a taxidermy tiger head, various trunks and chests, a Christmas tree, everything but the kitchen sink. And he looks really weird skinny. I'm going to throw that out there, too. Yeah, that's one successful crash diet. <laughs> A taffy finds something stuck in a door, and KV's skeleton keys it open. Translation, he just pulls it on top of himself. He does bring out some skeleton keys, which is a clever gag in the fact that it's literally a set of ribs with keys attached to them, which was, you know, clever. Also mildly macabre, but... Yeah. <laughs> now they find some shoulder pads, which are a little out of place at a wrestling arena, and they're property of a Connell's gym. Zowie, we got our first clue. And, you know, they, they decide to head around the corner, which is where the gym's located, conveniently enough. And KV opens the door on top of him to follow the girls. I, I got questions about a gag they do whenever they get into the gym. Like, KV sees all the people working out and decides to join in by pulling out this giant bone from inside his fur. And he can't hold it over his head, despite the fact he's been carrying it this entire time. Yeah, all he gets for his troubles is a... Come on! And by the way, for so late at night, O'Connell's is busy! The original 24-hour gym. Yeah. So they spot Bruiser, and they follow him and lose him just as fast. Meanwhile, KV accidentally walks in on a 
on a massage area and well yeah he thinks somebody's getting beat up in there and goes to investigate and he gets the roughest massage treatment of his life even the dino and his hair gets it rough (laughs) i do like that the dino just kind of comes out to complain and then goes back in (laughs) well i mean it literally made a kv uh loosey-goosey for lack of better words Mm -hmm. now the girls think they lost both bruiser and the creature but the latter tips toes past complete with the famous tiptoe sound effect i i I also love the fact that they're like you literally just hear the door close and you're like we've lost him and i'm like he just went out the door girls the heck (laughs) taffy of course six kv on the creature and the, the group chases him into a dead end where the only way he could have gotten out is via the laundry chute. But he's too big for that. <sighs> to be sure. KV tries to look and winds up slipping in, landing in a basket that's changed by a staffer. The girls go downstairs to check on KV, who is, uh, well, he's doing the gag you would always get if someone is thrown into a bunch of laundry. Yep, towel turban. And when they undo the turban, they stumble upon an audio cassette tape. Which, seemingly, this tape is enough for Dee Dee to go, well, I know what's going on, and we'll find out for sure when we listen to this tape. Now, this feels sudden, and Brenda and Cavey speak for many of us as they shrug, but follow along back to the arena. Yeah, because yeah, both, like, Taffy and Dee Dee are like, yeah, we know what's going on, and Brenda and Cavey's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> so, in the announcer's booth... They put the tape in as not Panthro approaches and snatches the tape away from them. Fortunately, Captain K-Man. Oh, wait, no, no, no. We got to mention one thing before we jump yeah. to that. Yeah, in her fright, Brenda dives into KV's hair. Which, I got to admit, when I watched that episode, I, I actually chuckled at that because it was so random. <laughs> And KV goes off to chase with Brenda still in his hair. Probably not the best choice, Brenda. No. The chase involves more rope swinging in the rafters, the ring acting as a trampoline, which, as a wrestling fan, I hasten to add, they're really not trampolines. A typical wrestling mat's foundation is pine wood or similar. Hence the term for when someone executes a spine buster, they say, spine on the pine. I've actually never heard that comment. Oh. Well, now you have. There we go. And, of course, they fall back into, like, the trash can from the start of the episode. Yep, but this time, KV has caught Not Panthro, and he's in there in the trash can with him and Brenda and the alley cat. (laughs) And Brenda's just like, eh. Would it you be? Oh, I mean, she looks like she's seen some crap. And considering she was inside KV's fur... There's no telling what she may have seen. She may have seen his ungabungas, you know. Yeah. Oh, dear. She, she, she's traumatized. <laughs> so it turns out the clues point to the fight announcer, Sam Coward, and the tape was a pre-recording of him announcing his own scheme, so it seemed like he was in the booth while doing the crime. Yep. When you put it all together like that, now the leap in conclusion makes a little more sense. Yeah, though there is... One issue I do have. Okay, so they reveal that it is the commentator, right? Yeah. He's a small guy, right? How did he, how lift, did he lift the wrestler? Lift, yeah, how did he lift the champ like he was freaking nothing? And speaking of which, how did he get stuff the champ in that heavy punching bag like he was less than nothing? How did the champ fit in? Exactly. Yeah, because that, 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 that's what they realize. They're like, we've found everything except for the champ himself, and the champ is actually in the, the punch, one of the punching bags, which, how did nobody know that for this long? Uh, so many questions. Yeah, a guy that big, and, you know, being a pro wrestler, he's probably good at being very loud. It, it, he should probably should have been able to break out of that after time. How is it even holding him up? I will at least give credit that he he has the best smirk when they unzip it and he kind of pops his head out because it's just like, he's like, yep, that's what happened. <laughs> so we get one last gag of KV trying to join the rematch, being outmuscled by the wrestlers and being down for a 10 count, counted by one of his club's birds, only for KV to pin the bird. Wait, doesn't wrestling have a three count? Well, 
what happens in the event of a of when both wrestlers are down, the referee will start counting to ten, waiting for one of them to respond. Yes, but, but yeah, I, I I don't expect Saturday morning cartoon writers to care that much about that sort of detail. Yeah, they're like boxing wrestling; it's the same. <laughs> they do like KV pinning the bird though. That that was good. So. There you have it. This was at least a better episode. I think by now they were a little more used to what the pattern for these characters should be. It definitely felt, while there's still some logic leaps, it definitely didn't feel as rushed as the first episode. Yeah. So KB and the girls show ran until about 1980 with something to the tune of 40 adventures created for them. And, and eventually... Three seasons. What? Three seasons. Yeah, three seasons. Yeah, 40 total episodes. Over those three seasons, and each episode being 11 minutes. Yep. With the third season, having them break off from the Laugh Olympics block and be a two episode, or rather two adventure per episode uh, format. Wow, three seasons and four, only 40 episodes. That seems crazy by today's standards. A little bit. But after the show ended, Captain Caveman didn't have to wait long to get a new gig. Nope, he ended up teaming up with the Flintstones. Yeah, he he was folded into their expanded cast on the Flintstones comedy show and would continue to appear with those characters as a side segment of the Flintstone kids alongside his son, KV Jr. Which is also kind of weird because if I remember right, I think there is an actual episode of Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels where they go back in time and they show all the cavemen look like KV, but don't quote me on that. Yeah. I, I have only a vague memory of that either way this kept the captain actually fairly relevant past the point a lot of his contemporaries fell off the map into cartoon express reruns i do like that the uh, segment that they did with him in the original flintstones which i think was the flintstone frolics or flintstone funnies there were so many flintstone spinoffs mm-hmm. um was kind of a weird superman parody where it was literally like for some reason wilma and betty are working part-time at a f- newspaper and, like, Captain Caveman also works at the newspaper, but he literally just puts on a set of glasses, to, and they're like, nobody knows it's Captain Caveman, despite him wearing glasses, and despite the fact that, you know, it's Captain Caveman, he's just a big yeah. guy. Clark Kenting to the extreme. Nice little stab at Superman and his so-great disguise. Although... Apparently, Dolly Parton came in third place at a Dolly Parton lookalike contest, so... You know. <laughs> That's embarrassing. But, no, nah, Captain Caveman's a fun character. Wish they did him better in Scoob. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. But uh, before that, he'd return to animation, voiced by Jim Cummings, in a dream episode of Scooby-Doo Mystery, Inc., a paid tribute to the many, many mystery adventure shows of the 70s that followed in Scooby's wake. Yeah, that, that episode's really, really good. I love that they even drew it in the old Hanna-Barbera art style for that episode. But, I mean, other than, obviously, Scooby, that had a team-up of Captain Caveman, Jabberjaw, Funky Phantom, and uh, Speed Buggy. Yep. With But, yeah, Jim Cummings actually did a really good job as uh, Cavey. Mm-hmm. Not that it's the first, like, Mel Blank role he's taken over or anything. And today, KV, the Teen Angels, and KV Jr. are regulars, or at least semi-regulars, on HBO Max's Jellystone. <laughs> yes, KV is sort of deadbeat dead, kinda? <laughs> Whereas now the Teen Angels are the Young Adult Angels. And work as, like, newspaper reporters, seemingly. <laughs> when they're not doing other odd jobs. I think I saw Dee Dee at the Cattanooga Cats uh, family restaurant. I think I saw one of them working at, like, the hospital, too. But that's Jellystone for you. If it works for the gag, they do it. I I need to watch season two of Jellystone so bad. I have keep meaning to do it, and I have yet to do it. Same, same. I love season one. I'm sure I'm going to love season two. Now, as for the Scoob feature film that we keep referring to, <laughs> Kiersey Clemens portrayed D.D. Sykes, who played a prominent supporting role opposite Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt. And KB himself had an extended cameo where he was voiced by, of all people, Tracy Morgan, who was not directed to make any effort to sound like Mel Blanc's 
iconic voice. Well, they didn't even portray him like the original Captain Caveman either. No. But you know what? I didn't care about that when I watched it, and I still don't massively mind it because it's really the least of that movie's issues. Yeah, I mean, even though they could have completely cut out that entire Captain Caveman segment and it would have affected the movie not at all. Um, I will say, as far as uh, the character treatment in that movie, Dee Dee probably got the best treatment. Yeah. But I was just happy to see KV again because I have so much nostalgia for this character. Even watching these episodes and realizing they don't hold up perfectly, I still had fun. Yeah, they're still fun. I mean, not everything has to be perfect. Things can just be fun. I mean, there's reasons why there's people that like schlock and B movies. It stuff that's not stuff doesn't have to be perfect to be fun. Yeah. I my attachment is such that Captain Caveman was technically my first ever cosplay. Gasp. I think mine was Pac-Man. Yeah. But I, I dressed as him thanks to my mom's craftsmanship for the uh, homecoming parade when the theme that year was Saturday morning. Oh, wait, no. My first one was Underdog. Never mind. Sorry. I remember my my mom got me an Underdog costume when I was really young. And KV's influence extends even into the fighting game community. His verbal tick, Ungabunga, is used to refer to characters who just start throwing strong blows and are difficult to stop. Yeah, they probably got it from Banjo-Kazooie's Ungabunga cave area, but come on, it appeared here first, you whippersnappers! Now get off my lawn! <laughs> well, and heck, even Banjo-Kazooie more likely got it from here to begin with, whether they knew it or not, because Ungabunga became a popular just caveman term after this show. I mean, they even use it in the game Chuck Rock, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, overall, if you if you can track down some episodes of the show, be it on DVD or uh, on iTunes or wherever, it they're fun, breezy little eleven minute watches. Some episodes are better than others, but yeah, it's it's a fun show. It's not it's by far not the worst of the Scooby clones. I will say that, and uh, because I haven't yet, and Pemmy's done it at least twice, <clears throat> Captain Caveman! I think you did better than I did, but you, 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 you can't hit those high notes that uh, Mel Blank can. <sighs> okay. Rather than restock the breakfast cereal, I'm going for those lozenges. <laughs> See ya, everybody. The Penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.